This is Season 3 of Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. In Seasons 1 and 2 of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing and how to put those concepts into action. If you haven't listened to those first two seasons, we invite you to start there. On today's program, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the recent reports from USDA, uh, some of those uh, government uh, reports that came out at the end of last week, and uh, also look ahead. Uh, what are the technicals showing us in the markets these days, and how does that relate to your marketing plan? Joining us today is Doug Simon. He is with Trade Haas in Lincoln. Doug, thanks for joining us here today. And also Darren Fessler. He is with Lakefront Futures in Lincoln. Uh, Darren, thanks for joining us here today as well. Uh, first of all, uh, maybe we can just get an overall uh, assessment of the markets. You know, there's uh, there has been a fair amount of things that the market has had to digest here recently. Uh, Darren, let's start with you. Just a kind of an overall. Uh, wh what would you say are the mar what what is the markets dealing with today? You know, today I think there's a lot of global macro issues still at play, um, and I think the commodities in general, uh, outside of maybe crude oil at the moment, it, commodities in general just feel pretty heavy to me. And and you you take a look at the technicals. We had a good move higher in crude oil Sunday night, and it just continued to be heavy this entire week. And it, you know you're seeing so here today in in most of the ag commodities uh, that were that were trading. All right, uh, same question to you, uh, Doug. As we uh, kind of consider what's going on right now, what are the main things in play? Well, I think we are getting some of that kind of hangover from the oil boom that we had last year, and the commodities are feeling heavy in that regard. And Corn had a you know dramatic washout where they had been long funds for the last three years and gone to a short position two weeks ago, probably short 50,000 contracts. They're still long uh, soybeans, but they liquidated probably a third of that length. But there's been a lot of liquidation of the commodities. A lot of the late comers to the, to the party, I think this, the banking crisis, some of the things going on there have, have kind of tip some of those people back out of the markets. Weed, on the other hand, is kind of like corn. It's had a massive, massive short position on it. So there's a lot of negativity to that. And so, so some of the commodities have made a pretty big move down. And so we're seeing a little bit of a bounce this last week because some of that kind of a little bit of a dead cat bounce. Sure. Absolutely. So again, we have a lot of things to talk about here today, and we definitely want this to be interactive as well. So as we are recording our podcast today, if you have uh, some questions that you would like answered, uh, feel free to contact us uh, Contact us through the link there. Uh, we'd be uh, happy to have our, our, our experts uh, respond to these. And of course, this is all part of the Grain IQ podcast series. Again, uh, the goal was to set up uh, some institutional knowledge about grain marketing so that you can uh, use this over time as a way to uh, help build and, and boost and, and really uh, solidify your marketing plan. And as uh, uh, after this podcast, if you haven't listened to those, listens to season one and two, uh, where you can where you uh, find your podcasts and uh, uh, definitely listen to those. And then as we get into season three here, again, the goal is to talk a little bit more about timely topics and things that the markets are, are dealing with. And that's what we're going to do now. Uh, Darren, we'll come back to you. Let's go back to last week, Friday, and uh, the USDA reports, I guess, kind of setting up those reports, uh, does the, because of the drought that we were coming off last year and the challenges of last year, did, do you think these reports last Friday, did they have a significance maybe that other USDA reports may or may not have had? You know, they, they could. I think that's a great question. I, I'm re correlating this year, like new crop December 23 corn, much like it was in December of 2013. 
We came off a of 12. We knew that 12 was bad. We came off a year that had some definite issues in the Western Corn Belt last year. And you look at how the spread action's been. You look at how strong the bases have been. Well, there's a lot of questions. Is the USDA right in the January report? Do we have the supplies? Do we not have the supplies? And I don't. I look at you know the movement ahead of Friday's report, and I've always been in the camp. I never really like big swings higher ahead of those type of reports or swings lower because because then you're almost asking, well, did the market already price any type of surprises into the market? And I think at at this moment there wasn't. It was a friendly report, and I think that if you look at what's going on in the Dakotas, if we look at the acres, it's more likely. If they continue to get snows, if it continues to be cold, you're probably looking at probably less corn acres, a little probably a little bit more beans, or even the idea of PP yet. It's still early, but that idea is still getting floated out there. So I don't think there was enough in Friday's report to drastically move the overall sediment of the market. I think it comes down to weather and then obviously the early progress of how this crop is looking. And that, at the end of the day, given the overall global you know, macro environment that we're in and the heavy feeling of commodities, you, you know, I've been telling guys, you you got one shot, maybe two shots to really be aggressive with this marketing, corn, beans, because without weather, it, it's, it's, it's not all that friendly at the moment. Doug, I might ask you this question. Um, uh, something that Darren talked about is that that feeling of the market before the reports came out. It, it felt like we were on, an, I would call it an early slide. I mean, seasonally, shouldn't we be see uh, prices kind of going up? Uh, in anticipation of what may or may not happen with plantings, it it just felt like we were going into a slide going into those reports. What do you do? You think that? What do you think? Well, seasonally, you tend to be your highs in this kind of January through June time frame, and each year is a little different. So there is maybe a little bit of a seasonal peak as you go into May, or you know, a little bit higher from this low that we put in here recently. So you could argue that, yeah, maybe we're sliding into that, but it. Um, Historically, if you look at soybeans, they tend to have some peaks here in April, May, and then also have some pretty hard fall-offs into the fall and a kind of a harvest low, and then they have some peaks post-harvest. But corn does tend to be 75% of the time higher in the spring, lower in the fall, generally. I mean, if you look at those seasonal peaks. But I think, you know, the the surprises, like you're saying, there weren't really that many in the report on Friday. The, the only surprise I felt like there was was the soybean, you know, stocks were lower by 57 million bushels below what the guess was. So that was the only thing that was really substantial. But I think from the outlook forum back in February and from a lot of the commercials looking at acres coming in, we lost acres last year, 3 million to, you know, prevent plant up in the Dakotas. So everybody was kind of expecting some of those to come back to varying degrees, either one to two to 3 million bushels or uh, acres, million acres. So there was some thoughts that might be up toward 93 to 94 million acres in the last two months. So the number that they're coming in close to 92 million acres is really, you know, it's still more than it was last year by three, but it's not outside. So the big question is, how does that, when you add up yield, add up those acres, you know, what's carryout going to be? And it's definitely going to double. It's going to go up about two, you know, two, two billion by, it's going to increase, you know, somewhere by about 800 million bushels. So that we kind of know, but Darren's point was, are we going to lose those acres again now? Or are we going to be back in the same boat? We've got a lot more kind of snow up there than we did last year. So and so it's similar to like 2013 and 2017 years where we did lose some acres. So that's going to be interesting what we lose there. And then, of course, what yields are going to be. Yeah. So one of the things that I saw in the acreage report that really surprised me is and it was actually called out by USDA, Doug, uh, the fact that there's going to be record soybean plantings in, in the state of Nebraska. Um, 
you know, I, I, we've had some moisture. I, I don't feel like we've had too much moisture in soybean growing areas. Uh, do you think it's, it, I get the feeling, or at least I got a thought that it'll be very easy to plant corn acres in Nebraska. And will we hit that soybean number? Because it's so dry that we'll get things planted, which it is very dry. We're kind of the one spot that's dry, maybe a little bit into western Iowa. But if you look at rotations, eastern Nebraska and western Iowa are the two places that they don't really rotate corn and soybeans that much. We may see a few more beans out west, you know, maybe depending on the rotations. But when you looked at the price of corn, I think that kind of holds those corn acres in, in kind of western Nebraska. And especially with the, the drought last year and the loss of forages, I think we're going to need to kind of keep those corn acres here. But the places you see it swing, your big high concentration of beans and, and growth in beans has been up in North Dakota along that Minnesota border. And so that's a place that can swing. And the Delta also swings some down there. So there'll be but I think that corn price where it is relative to those beans, that corn to bean ratio has been pretty favorable for corn. Uh, Darren, what do you think? Are there any takeaways from the predicted acreage report uh, that you're kind of keying in on? Uh, spring wheat acres. Uh, I think that's a huge one, especially in the Dakotas. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a, a drastic shift in beans in Nebraska. If anything, I think it's much more rotational, the corn. Uh, corn has a really good spring price right now, and I, I don't think that beans have done enough I think they may have in certain areas maybe pushed push the acres, but in general, I don't see it here. I'm more concerned about the spring wheat. I, I am spring wheat in general has not convinced guys, to, you know, to plant it. And in corn, it's just availability can even get out there to plant. If if that's the case, and it comes down to if they can plant, it's corn or it's spring wheat. They're going to go corn. If they can plant, not plant corn, they're probably going to go beans over both of those. And so then obviously the specialty crops are in in, in the mix too. So the, the areas of focus, I'm, I'm I'm really focused on that northern half of South Dakota into North Dakota and into that western part of Minnesota because, like Doug said, those are some there's some pretty big acres numbers that could shift there. Um, and then obviously the cotton numbers, cotton has not done anything for producers down south to really convince them. That's why you're seeing those cotton acres as low as they are. Okay, we, uh, let's spend a little bit of time on that other report, uh, the uh, this grain stocks report. Uh, uh, quickly, Darren, anything uh, that you pulled out of that report, uh, surprised uh, with any sort of grain movement uh, or anything like that? What, what's your takeaway from the stocks number that is especially going to play into the supply and demand situation for the rest of the marketing year? Well, I, I think first off is you had this big drop in, in front month corn, and I think that has just really locked the bin doors. So then there's that idea of, okay, if the farmers are not selling, how, how are we going to get these things out of the bin? You know, I think you see the end users start to increase basis, or if, if not, move from May to July on, on some of their contracts that they're using. So, again, I, I don't think that this number is necessarily a bullish or bearish number. I think it's pretty, pretty down the line here, to be honest with you. It, I think at the end of the day, what's really going to move it is just going to be the weather. And at the very moment here, I'm not seeing a huge, huge threat here. Even though the West is is drier, I, I'm concerned if there's any major growing areas, it's probably going to be Eastern Corn Belt being maybe a little bit too wet. So again, it's early. I, I'm not going to put any of the horse, uh, you know, the cart ahead of the horse just yet. All right, uh, Doug. As far as the grain stocks go, um, uh, was there any surprise? Uh, you know, uh, the farmer selling the amount that's on farm versus off farm or anything like that, and how that could play with marketing the the rest of the grain that we have. That that there's some interest there. There was were about 300 million bushels less in Colorado, Nebraska, and Kansas than there were on corn than last year, and so we are and we've got a lot of cattle on feed in Nebraska and Iowa, relatively speaking. So there's there's still a lot of 
I think corn that needs to move into some of those feedlots. So it's going to be interesting with basis as we go late into the year. It was interesting to see, though, that the stocks on farm weren't that much different than last year. That kind of surprised me. I thought it, the actual lower numbers are in the commercial hands, which means they'll probably have to try to buy it yet, and it's still on the farm. But then you got to wonder how much of that stuff in the farm's already sold. So, but I, you know, last year we really kind of lagged on basis on the roll, and we didn't compensate cash wise for the roll that we had. And we've got a twenty-seven or twenty-five cent discount to go to July right now. So that basis is going to have to jump by that to if you're going to hold that corn, then it doesn't give you any carry. And we've got higher interest rates now. So we did see a lot of corn move this last few days. I mean, since the we had a little bit of a rebound in futures on Thursday and Friday. And so we've seen the basis actually weaken here and it's kind of substantial in a few spots here, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, and let's talk about basis because, like the like I say, this all kind of comes back to our marketing plan and and what do we do on the farm? Basis has been a story all winter long, right? Last fall through the winter, but you kind of alluded to it. It it feels like it it has uh, broke just a little bit, not bad, but it is not what it was before. What has led to that? Uh, why is that significant now, Doug? I think you roll back to last year when we did see the late summer. We did have that basis blow up during June, July, August. I think this year the feedlots knew how dry it was out west because they were in the middle of the drought. And they were pretty aggressive. They were very aggressive getting corn bought in that kind of Ock, Nove, D slot. And there was, a, there was a huge dislocation of trying to move corn from east to west to fill in some of those needs. And so they were, I think they're a little more aggressive, you know, getting stuff filled. I mean, our best, you know, cash levels this year were right off the combine with, I mean, eastern Nebraska basis and actually rail basis going from Bartlett and Council Bluffs going to Mexico was like 60, 70, 80 over during harvest, better than what Blair and Columbus were, you know, our two big ethanol plants. And so we had our best basis numbers and right there, you know, off the combine and, and during the early fall, or I guess it would be um, kind of early winter. Mm -hmm. and, and it has broken back because that they had solved that problem. Those guys being shortened down in the Kansas feedlots. And so, and then there was some corn moving in there by rail. Initially it was all truck moving out of kind of uh, South central Nebraska and Western Nebraska. And so they've kind of solved that, that dilemma for right now, but they can't hold all that corn, you know, in the first, you know, half of the marketing year. So they're going to have to still come back and get some of that, but it'll be interesting to see how ethanol margins have kind of improved a little bit, how they're going to fight with ethanol plants, but the export market's pretty, pretty quiet, pretty dead. You know, just, we had some sales to China here recently, but that big picture side, it, it will be interesting this, this, you know, late summer to see what that basis does. Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of the question, Darren, I have for you is, um, is the basis play now still a good play? I mean, or, or should we, should we wait for basis? Uh, you know, um, uh, what, what, what does the what do the charts tell us if we're tracking this? Is this something that we should do right now? Yeah, Doug was that what Doug just said was music to my ears because it just <laughs> reiterates what my original belief was. It it was not. It's about a a play on basis right now was a logistical thing, and if you are depending on where you are, like so, I a lot of guys in Illinois and Iowa, and if you are in this area that had 230, 240 bushel corn, and you're seeing thirty or forty over basis, well, and saying. I don't. I, we don't have the supply nationally. That's not. I. My. It's legitimate. If you go to Western Nebraska and you you were you were seeing above the board, lots needed. It found its way from the east to the west. So it's not. If you're holding 
corn or beans at this moment. And, and your idea is I'm playing this basis game. Well, I think you really got to consider one, the inverse spread between May and July. And then what the interest rate environment is. We're not talking about four and five and 6% anymore. We're talking eight, nine, 10 plus, depending on your operation and whatever it is. So that has to be in the mix here. Cause even if you'll go from May to July, you're, you're losing a ton just on the inverse in itself. And then you have to get the basis back. So you're, you're, there seems like there's a lot of headache that producers don't need to really put themselves through in this environment. If they want to be bullish, that's one thing. Reown it on the board then. But but having the that basis risk and the futures risk on top of it, it just seems like it, it's you know it doesn't need to have all that headache. To it. So before we go to new crop, I want to transition to a new crop discussion here first. But uh, we've got two technical guys that are sitting in the studio with us here today. So I, I want to make sure that I ask this question, too. We'll start with you, Darren. Um, what do what are the technicals showing us? What are the charts showing us that the futures want to do? And does does that agree with what we've been talking about fundamentally up to this point? At the very moment, yes. I mean, the the technicals, the momentum, when I say momentum, I'm, I'm simply watching the, the five and nine day EMAs relative to the 20 day EMAs. They're exponential moving averages. Reason I use exponential versus simple because it moves quicker on big adjustments, on big moves uh, on report days or what have you. Uh, and when both of the five and the nine are below the 20, it's, it's a confirmation for me that the trend is still lower. Momentum is your friend. Now, December corn, we broke through there, and we had this nice little pop-up into last week's report, and we've faltered since, and we haven't looked back. We really, really, really need to hold these recent lows here. If you don't, then some of the higher volume levels, what I call the point of controls or the volume profiles, suggest that you probably be looking at 540 on D's corn, and then why? Now, granted, if we get things planted and there's no weather issue, I think you may get a pop back towards that October timeline. Call it maybe at that time, it would be 570, 580. If there's no weather, then you can look at 480 or $5. Now, I don't want to be jumping on the bandwagon and being really, really bearish. Is That's just what the technicals would say. And then you overlay that with some of the fundamentals. And I'm saying if you get 180, and I think that's very possible because I think you're going to get less corn. So if you get 180 and just do some simple math, you're going to be up 1.6, or higher on that potential carryout. Now, what's that demand picture look like? Definite $5 if we don't have weather. All right, same question to you, Doug. Uh, what are you watching the technical? Um, are they telling a different story, or what, what do you think is going on with that? Well, contrary to you, is, you know, from the done positions that have been long you know, for three years on corn, and they liquidated a lot of positions here in the last for you know four weeks and they've got short 50 odd thousand contracts they were long 300,000 they weren't that long you know recently but they really kind of pushed the market down pretty hard maybe more than they needed to and so i mean i think that's why we're getting a look we went down to that 550 on the d level and now we bounced back almost to 570 we we're 575 after the report so i mean we've had a little bit of a rebound after that and but the weed has gone through the same thing where it was long and and they, you know, with the Ukraine war going on and it's been liquidating basically over the last year. And so they've got a really big short position on. So when those funds get that negative and the sentiment gets that low, like it is in the corn and the, and the beans, or excuse me, corn and the wheat, kind of hope that we'll get some kind of bounces out of that. So I guess I'd, I would, I like the picture, like what you're saying, you know, carryouts could be toward 1.8 billion, 2 billion. When you look at that, that projects that corn prices somewhere 
five dollars, you know, or you know, maybe four fifty if the market really overshoots it. So you have to keep those things in mind. So from a risk management perspective, and that's what you know, if we're going to talk about new crop, it's what are you going to do about it, you know, and and what you have to have in your mind. What are the price parameters? Last year, the carryouts, you know, when you looked at the acres and yields, you couldn't see really where we would really build stock. But this year, with the oncoming Brazilian crops on the corn side and the bean side, not Argentina, of course, but you have the potential to build back enough stocks. We put us in a more comfortable situation. So it doesn't mean we're going to end up there. We don't know today. That's the thing that makes interesting, you know, marketing so interesting. You've got to peel back this onion as you go through the year and see what acres are and what's so sitting here today. You don't know what that final carryout's going to be, but the downside potential is more substantial this year. And it was the same in beans. We kind of neglected the bean side of it. I mean, the bean carryouts were projected to be the 350 to 800, 380 million bushels. Now they've maybe come down a little bit here yeah. with those stocks being a little bit tighter in that last report. But you know, you probably could see a 12, 1250, you know, number on beans if if we raise those type of crops. So the question is, how are you going to manage the risk of that? Because you don't yeah. know how we're going to end up there. Everybody wants to try to predict where we're going to end up, but I haven't found anybody that can, and, and I dare would say the same, I'm sure. Is well, we, you know, trying to predict those things, a lot of people like to micromanage the moves in the market, but it's really hard to do. Yeah. Well, and if we knew the answer to that question, we wouldn't be in a studio in Lincoln, Nebraska. We would be somewhere where it's warm and sunny all year long, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So I guess uh, as we wrap up this old crop, uh, kind of, you know, this old crop idea, Darren, just give me one or two quick things. If we have old crop grain in the bin yet that needs to be priced, what are the two keys to watch there for uh, old crop? For old crop, pick up the phone, sell it. That's I'm, one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm 90 to 100% sold and have been since Christmas. Uh, I think we've had really favorable basis levels. I don't think that basis is going to have anything to do with like last fall levels. I don't think you're going to get back there. Mm -hmm. And I think there are better strategies out there if you want to be bullish at this time frame of year. We're still historically really good levels. So yeah. just reward it. Doug, unpriced grain in the bin yet? Key to get that priced. I've got people that can't physically move everything, you know, until you, you're, you're still working on moving corn here, April, May, June, July, just because they physically have to do it over time. So, I mean, we have our, you know, a very good basis level still right now. It's dropped off from where it was two weeks ago. But again, if you want to be bullish, it's easier to, with that inverse, you've got to overcome that 20, 25 cent discount to July. You could go out and buy some type of option strategy. Actually, volatility on options is relatively, it's it's in the lower, it's it's decent, decently priced right now. It tends to increase as you go into July as we get more weather scarce. So, I mean, corn and beans right now, you could do something option-wise if you want to re-own grain. There's ways to do that. That's better than trying to fight that inverse. Yep. All right. Very good, guys. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a pause here and uh, just mention that uh, we do want people to uh, send in their questions. We've got a couple in the queue and we'll definitely get to those. So, uh, you know, and there's so many things that we haven't talked about, right? Uh, we haven't talked about uh, uh, the political dealings with China. We haven't talked about what's going on in the Ukraine. Uh, we haven't talked about uh, marketing of uh, South American grain either. Those are all layers that are part of this discussion too. But I really want to focus now on uh, what the new crop marketing situation is going to be like for us here in the States, specifically, uh, you know, Western Cord Belt. So, um, Doug, let's start with you on, on that idea. And this uh, this will be a great question to kick off with. Mike sends this question in. Thanks for the question, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, the question is, how much new crop are you suggesting to have on the books before planting? And, you know, maybe you can tie that in. You know, we have our crop insurance decision made. 
that gives us some uh, some latitude, some ability to do some pre-harvest marketing. So before planning, you know, as we're sitting here in the next couple of weeks, where should we be at with our with our pre-harvest marketing? Good question. So we like to look at a seasonal pattern between January and June to sell, and we like to look at selling that in that up to like your crop insurance guarantee. So if you were gonna raise 100,000 bushels and you bought 75% multi-parallel crop insurance, you should be looking at selling that crop insurance guarantee by, ju by June, by the end of June. You can change that a little bit, but you wanna be doing that in that seasonal timeframe. Now, in years coming off of high prices, and Bob Wizard was one of my mentors, he was over at Iowa State University and he was here in, at Nebraska. In the 90s when I was in grad school and it was, he was doing a sabbatical, His, he always says, plant your corn by the time you put it into the, or sell your corn by the time you put it in your planter box, is what he would used to say. And if you look at those seasonals, it kind of lines up with that, is that you tend to be higher in that, you know, kind of February to June timeframe than you are at harvest. So we always look at selling increments over time. And in years when you're coming off high price years, you want to be sell earlier. So you really kind of want to extend that time frame and making making some sales last year on the 2023 20, crop were advisable because we had prices that were, you know, up towards 680. And now we've fallen back to 550 here this last week. So we've had, you know, a dollar 30 range in there. But hopefully you kind of looking at those when you were selling stuff last year, making sales, you're also making sales on the 2023 crop. But so now you should be, we would like to sell during February and March, and now we're into April. I mean, you probably have, need to have about, you know, three increments of 20% done, probably about 60% of your crop insurance guarantee. Because inherent in that crop insurance multi-parallel, you have a fall price. If you're using the, the revenue protection product, that if you do have a problem, you don't raise a crop you do have you know compensation that come through the higher fall price like we did last year last year we had a springtime price that was similar to this year's spring you know springtime price on the corn and so we had a 680 ish 685 price in the fall which was had a you know dramatic increase in your in your crop insurance guarantee because of that change in the fall price so that's what we kind of like to look at and whether we use we like to use futures and like to hedge it because we want to be open on basis because we think there's basis opportunities to merchandise that corn off the farm. So I'm not really interested in worrying about harvest logistics. I think basis will be very good at harvest because of the type crop that we've had and the type basis that we're seeing. But I like selling futures or we have done some things with some puts buying, you know, earlier here, you know, when corn was in the $6, you know, 590 puts and selling like 640 calls, you can do things like that to give yourself a fence, you know, and put a floor underneath it, cap yourself to the upside. I probably did that more this year where you put a call up above it just because you felt like, okay, maybe we're not going to have the volatility that we had last year during the Ukraine war, or I mean, that's still going on, but some of those things have kind of calmed down. But beans, they tend to be a little more of a volatile market where you can do some pre-harvest marketing but you also have more chances to sell beans after if you haven't hit your pre-harvest targets but corn you pretty much got to be pretty religious about hitting increments over time in the springtime before you plant it yep all right same question to you darren uh what at what level should we be at pre-harvest marketing bushels this year for 2023 crop? Well, I can tell you where I'm at right now. Uh, I'm advising diets to be 35 or 40% hard hedge, meaning utilizing futures uh, on new crop beans. And right now we're about 10 to 15% hard hedged on uh, corn. We're utilizing a lot more option strategies right now simply because there's, there's a lack of, I think, interest among producers to sell anything below six bucks. 
And they have been rewarded the last few years of, hey, we're just going to hold off here and see what happens. And, you know, that I'm not, it's no, no need to point blame anybody. It's just, it's just how it's happened. But I love the caller strategies Doug had mentioned where you're buying a puts and you're selling those upper calls there to finance the position. Uh, Cornball is very, it's fairly valued right here on, on New Crop Corn. And I, I like that position as long as you're a willing seller a fiscal grain at a higher price. It keeps that flexibility with unknowns, especially if you're in the Dakotas, you want that flexibility because you just don't know. If you're in Nebraska here, you still probably want the flexibility, but if you get to some of these levels like the 620s, you got to be rewarding that uh, and, and, and probably be a, very aggressive with that, probably all the way up to your uh, your insurance guarantees. And so, again, I, I love the seasonalities Doug has mentioned because these are things that over the longer time, they have a tendency of working. You need to be selling into those rallies. Yep. Uh, let's talk about options just for a second. That was going to be my, one of my questions since you guys brought it up. Let's talk about that. Are, are options of value right now? You know, because you have to look at what you're insuring, right? If, if we think calls, uh, if we think that options are an insurance strategy, well, what is the cost of the of the option compared to what you're what, what are you insuring? So you're saying there, there's a value there. What we're protecting is worth buying the option, huh? Beans, bean ball is very, very cheap. And you got to be very careful. Now, granted, you're going to be long in the field. But just simply from a positional standpoint, selling a lot of bean ball or bean volatility at this point could really spike. Even if it goes up 10%, your option would get really underwater on the call side. So even if you're looking at just simply buying the put right here, so let's say the new crop bean ball is trading at 16%, right? The average range that we're seeing on new crop beans is more like 22, 23 cents a day. But volatility, if it's trading those type of 22, 23 cent ranges a day, you are more or less trading 24% uh, volatility, not 16 to 17%. So there's value there. So it'd be like kind of looking at, well, is there value in the option that you have the price of the option, but then what's the, what's the value behind the price? So there's a lot of value. If you're going out there and just simply buying some options on, uh, on beans, if that's what you want to play, bean option ball is very, in case we get a big spike. And like I mentioned, the potential of 12, 1220, 1250, yeah, 1220 is a target. Definitely. If you get the acres, if you get the yield, yeah, they would be a really good, Good hedge. Now, granted, I'm much more of the I like the future side of things on the hard hedge side or the HT because I think those are good routes to go here. But if you get 1380 to 1420, I think that a guy needs to be pretty, pretty aggressive there. All right, very good. Great conversation so far, guys. Uh, we're getting some questions in, so uh, let's uh, let's go to some listener questions, if you will. Doug, I'll ask you this question first because I think I, I believe you brought it up initially, and that's just with the with the prospective plannings report and the weather that we've had since then, especially in Dakotas, Minnesota. Uh, how worried are you about um, you know here in Nebraska and the Western Corn Belt? about being in a drought situation again. And we thank Braden for sending that question in here today. What do you think about the upcoming weather, Doug? Well, I, one of my clients called me earlier and I called him back because we couldn't meet up, but literally it's talking to him on the way and walking up here and he was out west and he's just really, and he irrigates, but you know, how much irrigation water they're gonna have available and as dry as it is. I mean, we're in a, in, you know, a world of hurt and, Eastern Nebraska too. I mean, I grew up in Cass County, just east of here. And I mean, we're relatively dry over there. I mean, we've had some rain and stuff, but we just don't have any room for any adversity. I mean, if we go into any, you know, heat stress or anything like that, there's like that, it's, it's pretty tough. So, I mean, we're, we're, but it's not a, it's not nationwide. I mean, you go back east, it's wet. 
you go down into the, you know, last year in the Mid-South, you know, they were really dry down there early on and their corn crops really suffered and they had plenty of rain late and their beans were pretty good, but, you know, they've had more moisture down there. So you, you really, the only people that are really worrying about drought are right here. So, but I'm probably more worried about losing those acres up in the Dakotas to the snow, because I mean, if we've got anywhere from 20 to 35 inches of snow up there, I mean, last year we had snow in that second week of April, but it left pretty quickly. By the end of April, it was gone, but there's a lot more snow sitting up there than there was last year. And, and there's a lot, it's, it's going to warm up this week. I mean, so that's what my friend was worried about is that, man, that heat out there is going to kill us around here. You know, what moisture we have, it's going to drive it away. But up there, it might maybe it's going to help them melt, but there's a lot of snow to melt up there, a lot to, lot to drain, you know, north and flood. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, and I get the opportunity to visit with a weather guy every Friday for our network. And that was one of the things he said last week that really surprised me is the snow from last week and the snow that they're predicting this week could change the flood outlook for the Missouri River system. Uh, isn't it amazing, Darren, how we can go from talking about drought, drought, drought in the Missouri basin to all of a sudden, hey, we might have a little bit more water than we anticipated. Yeah, that last I know, we have an office in North Dakota. The last thing I want to see at this point for those producers is a drastic warm up, and I want to see a gradual warm up here. There is a lot of snow on the ground, and there's already the talk of, you know, buying some cover crops for you know what's going to happen here because at this very moment, a lot of guys and a lot of clients in North Dakota, it, it's going to be the last half of April at the soonest before they can get in, if not the you know, the second week of May, I know that seems like a way long off, but there's a lot of snow on the ground. We're talking multiple feet of snow at the moment. And so, again, it, I think that is a huge area. And it's a, I think it's, we got to focus on that from a marketing standpoint, because that, that in itself might be our shot here to, to really maybe make that move higher, to be more aggressive with sales if you've been on the sideline here recently. Okay. We got a question from, this was a, a listener from Southwest Nebraska. Uh, it says, uh, considering phasing out some of my wheat acres, any thoughts about sorghum and its profitability? We talk about the big three. We talk about corn, soybeans, and we've talked about wheat here today. Darren, uh, any thoughts on, on sorghum and its marketability? Well, depending on where in southwest Nebraska, how, how much moisture do you have and what's your allocation for water if it is irrigated? Uh, do, does a guy just want to abandon If they have wheat out there now, do you abandon it? Because that's the talk in a lot of areas of northwest Kansas, all the way to southwest Kansas. They're probably going to abandon it. Do they just put some summer fallow on it? Uh, I think you look at the alternatives here. I still think if, if you look at the sorghum and the milo side of things, I think there's still probably going to be a need for it because they're coming off a major drought. Maybe do some feed yards want to utilize that. And again, we've seen some over the last couple of years, we've seen some really good basis in that Milo. So again, it, it could definitely be a good opportunity, I think, in some of those areas. All right, Doug, what are your thoughts about uh, maybe giving up on the wheat and, and going the sorghum route? Any thoughts about that? Well, that's a really, you know, agronomic question, right, for that specific area. Like, can you re-establish corn or, you know, out there? I mean, it, that would be one question, but at this point, it's like, it seems like some of that weed out there is so bad in the situation that it's going to be abandoned. But to go back to, again, it's the basis level on sorghum. I mean, we've, in the last three years, we've had a couple different times in there. We've had really positive basis, but it's not as good as what it has been or not as good as what the corn basis is. So you really have to look at your individual circumstances there. 
Okay. All right. Um, let's uh, let's kind of, uh, I guess, uh, wrap up our new crop discussion here too. And maybe can we tie the two together, Doug? Uh, is there anything that we learned in last week's reports or, you know, anything that's happened since then? How, what are the things that are going to affect the grain markets during the planting season? What, what should producers be keeping an eye out for based on what we've talked about and what we know up to this point? Well, the April WASDE report and the May WASDE report, they're going to put those acres into the May report. And so they may adjust like South American numbers in that April report and then also again in May. So that's going to have some you know bearing on what they kind of think the, the big, you know, like the international balance sheets are going to be. But the U.S. balance sheets, I mean, we kind of got an idea that, you know, we're going to be 91 million acres and, you know, a yield somewhere 175 to 180. You know, so when you look at those big pictures, I mean, we're going to build stocks. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think we need to micromanage the, the balance sheet, really. You know, the, the bean balance sheet did firm up a little bit. It will be interesting to see in April what they do to that in stock number. They're, they'll mess around with the residual. You know, maybe they'll mess around with the production of last year's beans at some point. But, you know, it, if you take 50 million bushels out of the beet balance sheet, that's a that's a significant number. So it's going to add more volatility. I think we go back to what, you know, Darren was talking about. You know, if you make if you make sales, you make incremental sales and you hedge things, or if you use, future, you know, the, the, the put options, you can do that. You know, have some flexibility in it. You know, you don't need to go out and sell 100% of your crop, but you got to look at selling up towards your crop insurance guarantee. And if you're doing some hedging, you can also buy calls and do a synthetic, you know, put. Or if those calls are relatively, I, they're good values. What do you what do you say? And what I and I agree with that. Is the the options are always priced on volatility, not the volatility of the market and your interest rate and where you are relative to the strike. And last year, our option volatility was a lot higher during the war and during the drought during the summer. So we're on the lower end of the spectrum. We're in the lower end of the distribution of volatilities. We're in the lower thirds. So we're there. So it's it's better to go out and be an option buyer than a seller. So you could go hedge the board and buy a call and do what that, you know, that synthetic put, but you don't have to buy it on hundred percent of what you sell, but maybe you buy it on 30% of what you sell. So, and if you've got 30% of your crop unsold, you're, you're essentially kind of long, 60% of your crop and you've kind of, you have a portfolio that you've put together to manage your risk rather than trying to predict what it's going to do, because it's going to be really difficult. I mean, we're supposed to be moving from La Nina to El Nino. We're going to have to see how that, how that, you know, transitions as well. Yeah. Although we bumped up against that, what, two or three times and have come back. Yeah. So we'll see if we actually make the transition. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Darren, what do you, we haven't talked about South America. Are there keys to what's going on in South America, you know, whether it be the remaining bean harvest, the development of the Safrina corn crop, is that going to have an influence on where prices may go during our spring planting season? Uh, yeah, I mean, Safrina is not Safrina's not in the bin. It's still in, it's still being produced. It's still growing, and so we don't know how that will finish. Um, you know, look, you look back at last year, uh, not this year, but the last year. I mean, everything looked pretty good in Brazil, bean wise, and then it just fell off fell off the cliff. I mean, everything in the eastern side of Nebraska looked really good come August 1st, and then it fell off the cliff. I mean, and, and same thing happened. So I'm not going to count, the Safrina looks good, it, it, but I'm not going to count it that they're going to have a, a record corn crop just yet. I think it looks good. I think that's a threat maybe for us in the nearby but at the end of the day, I mean, we still got to we still got to plan it. Nothing's been planted here. We still got to worry about what what the weather may or may not do. I mean, 
I've been in the camp that maybe the weather, knock on wood, is changing a little bit, but we haven't had any rain here recently, and there's still a lot of dryness. If we run into any dry patches, there's not a whole lot of subsoil moisture here that can carry us multiple weeks if it's 90 plus degrees. That is a huge concern, I think, for me. Um, but in general, yeah, I, I love what Doug said. It, you can feel confident in this market. You're never out of the market unless you want to be. Even if you make an HD, even if you make a head, you can go out, buy your calls, buy your call spreads, uh, and still be in the market, still feel like you're participating in the upside, even if you made an early sale. But if you're selling here and you know it goes to $6, perfect. You know, you're going to scale in here unless you run into the issue where you just, like Western Nebraska, you, you had a really bad drought. You didn't have water. It was a tough year, but you have the crop insurance to help you out as well. But you're never out of that market unless you want it. Well, and that's the thing, right? Even if you don't make a decision as a farmer, you have made a decision, right? Because you, you're producing the grain. You're you're long the grain, right, Doug? Correct. You're long. Yeah. Howard Buffett, he wrote a book called 40 Chances. And a lot of farmers, you've got 40 crops you're going to grow. So you're all always inherently long. And I tell the younger guys, well, you're probably long about 30, you know, five or 40 crops. You know, your dad might only be long 10 crops, but you got, you're always long corn. So you got to, Jim Kendrick, who is one of my other mentors at the University of Brass said, you married to your wife, not to your corn, sell the stuff. So, you know, <laughs> and, and so you, you, know, you know, hey, you got to figure out a way to do it. So, but I think it, it goes back to, we've been talking about futures and options to get the, to take off the futures risk, but then we'll want to be able to be open then to what's going to go with logistics for harvest. We don't have to worry about selling, okay, we're we going to sell something into Blair, we're we going to sell something to Columbus, or we're we going to sell beans to, you know, Fremont Processing Plant. If we've got it hedged, we can worry about that later on. And I think our basis level should be pretty good this fall, early harvest, because we're coming off of a tight crop. And so, but at that point, then you can decide where you want to go to with it. Mm. There'll be different basis opportunities, you know, whether it might be at a, might be a trail, you know, a train rail loader, or it might be at the ethanol plant, or it might be a feedlot. So you don't know who's going to be bidding the most aggressively out there at harvest time. So if we can, I think we definitely agree on a lot of things here in terms of looking at how, you know, hedge it and look at the opportunities down the road where we're going to merchandise it. All right. We're going to wrap up two quick two quick sentences, Doug. Uh, two takeaways from today's discussion, really quickly. What are the the two main things to remember about marketing grain today? You have to be mentally prepared when the opportunities present themselves to pull the trigger because the opportunities are pretty quick. There's a lot of algorithmic trading that goes on and the and the it changes quickly. So you've got to have have it in your head before we get there because if you're still thinking about it when we hit a price, it's going to be, it's leaving. It'll be gone. The train's leaving. <laughs> yeah. uh, Darren, what do you say? Two takeaways. Uh, you got to mentally prepare. I, I love that statement there because you got to be able to now, right now today, you need to be looking out in the future. If the if price of December corn or November beans gets to this price, let it go. Move on from it. You're, you're long in the field. You're going to be long next year. You're always naturally long. The market knows that. Traders know it. The funds know that. Mentally prepared now and be aggressive. If you don't have weather, be very aggressive. All right. Very good. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time and visiting with us here today. Again, we've had Darren Fessler. He's with Lakefront, Future, Lakefront Futures uh, here in Lincoln and Doug Simon, Trade Haas in Lincoln, joining us for today's thing of the Grain IQ podcast. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Seclocha. It is written and edited by Alex Nakavica. Our project manager is Bryce Tuskid. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.